0: When I was uh, in seminary a few years ago, I would ride up with a local pastor friend of mine, and uh, we got to talking one time. It was, we, were, we would drive from here up to north of Philly, and this was about an hour commute. And uh, we got to talking one time. I happened to be making a church poster at the time, and he said, uh, his name was Chris. He said, well, you know, Terry, every church poster has to have the three Fs three, like every church poster has to have the three F's, food, fun, and fellowship. And so here's a picture from a church, food, fun, and fellowship. I want to throw these pictures in front of you. These are from actual church posters. The church names have been scrubbed to protect the innocent, but here's one, food, fun, fellowship on Sunday. They flow together well, so I get it. Sometimes they're the meal, you know, we're going to eat the food, the fun, the fellowship. But come, it's going to be food, it's going to be fun, it's going to be awesome. You can make it into a logo, the three F's. This has been done. I have facts here. Or you can stick it in a pot, the food and the fellowship. The fun will be had. It doesn't even need to be in the pot. It's already there. So, This one, they got a little creative with the rotation of the font, the different colors. Love that font. Um, the food and the fun. Sometimes the fellowship is implied, and that's okay. We get it. And then this is the last one. This sort of is the next level, F4. You go to F4 level, it's going to be Friday, fun, food, and fellowship. This is an actual example pulled from the interweb. So we, we, we're going to talk about fellowship today, and the sermon title is Longing for Fellowship. And The word fellowship is what we sandwich in between food and fun in the church, and it's synonymous with the potluck, fun, which sometimes are not that fun, let's just be honest, but they can be a great time of fellowship, and there always has to be food there. But we, today we want to get at what the biblical definition of fellowship is so that we understand what the world is longing for, that they're longing for something that we actually have among us. And it's a Christian word, fellowship, or it's a word that we often use in the church, at least. We don't know what to do, do with it always. The word itself, if you break it down, it's very basic stuff here. Fellow is an old English word. It means a, com- a comrade or a companion. A fellow And then when you add the word ship to any word, like you could think of sportsmanship, uh, when you add that suffix to any word, it talks about the form that that thing, how that thing takes shape. So fellowship is the shape that uh, companionship or camaraderie, the shape that that takes. In scripture, uh, it's often with this Greek word um, koinonia. So it's It's always nice to know a couple Greek words. Koinonia is a fun one. Sometimes they'll say koinonia fellowship. It's a redundancy, but koinonia means fellowship. It means participation. It means sharing together. It means participation in a way that we can see it playing out. And this is the Greek word that is translated fellowship in your Bibles. And here's some examples from scripture of where it shows up. I'll just read these to you. Acts 2.42, maybe the pinnacle of fellowship in the early church. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. This next one is from 1 Corinthians 1.9. You were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, So this fellowship is something that we're called into with Christ. It's part of the faith. But then it starts to interact horizontally with one another. This next one is from 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So we also have fellowship koinonia with the Holy Spirit. And then this next one from First 1 John 1, 1.3. This is the writer John talking to the early church about the fellowship that they had with Christ. And they talked about how they saw him in the flesh. They were with him. They touched him. They saw him. They saw his words. And then he goes on. He says, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. He goes on a couple verses later in verse 7. And it now it starts to interact with the horizontal way that we live. If we walk in the light, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his Son, is cleansing us from all sin. These are the scripture verses that point to what fellowship is. I'll hold this definition in front of you, and then we'll, we'll look at a story in scripture uh, where it gets lived out. So fellowship, just even from the, own, the definition of the word, and I've kind of added the horizontal component of what, what does fellowship actually mean in our lives, in the life of the church? Fellowship is the visible community that takes shape as believers freely share what is held in common, the love of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ and all that he accomplished is what we hold in common. And specifically, we're called to hold his love amongst ourselves. And then the form that that takes in everyday life is the fellowship. Okay, so fellowship is this this form that takes shape in the church as we love one another. Here's some characteristics of fellowship, and this is what we'll unpack today. We'll, we'll go through these one by one. Because like I said, we know how to put fellowship on a church poster, but the word itself is a word that, I mean, let's just be honest. When was the last time you used the word fellowship in a sentence? It probably just had it had its roots in the connection back to either a poster or um, we're going to this fellowship, like you think of it as a, as a noun, a group. But fellowship, the characteristics of fellowship itself are that it's visible, risky, humble, costly, and free. And if practiced with radical love for one another, it will persuade the world. Where could we look in Scripture for the idea of fellowship? We could go back to the garden. Adam and Eve with the Lord. They had perfect fellowship with the Lord. There was nothing between them. There were these boundaries set, and, and they, they compromised. They compromised. They compromised that fellowship with a decision that they took upon themselves to partake of something that the Lord um, wasn't yet ready to reveal to them. And they took it anyway, prematurely. And then one generation later, we had murder. And the blood was crying out to the Lord. And ever since then, the storyline of Scripture is essentially... How does God restore the fellowship with humanity and himself? So where would we look to that in Scripture? we look to Jesus. And specifically, we would look to the relationship that he had with the apostles. That's where we're going to go today. You can turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 13. There's lots of places that we could go to start to see how Jesus expressed fellowship. But John 13 is very specific and very uh, intense because it's the last hour of Jesus' life. It's the last hour, the last chapter, the last moment that he has with his apostles, his disciples, his 12 trusted disciples. And we see it um, in John 13 at this encounter. I'm going to read it for us, and then we'll, we'll think about this idea of Christian fellowship in the context of this story. Now, before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper... When the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin And began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. So Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? We'll pause there. Fellowship we see in Jesus' life is visible. And there's this final hour that Jesus is with his 12 apostles. In Mark, when Jesus first called his disciples to himself, it says in Mark chapter 3, verse 13, that he desired to be with them. And he, he drew to, to himself the ones that he wanted to be with. There is this mutual building of fellowship amongst the apostles. And then I love what verse 1 says, that this final hour, the final hour, he loved them to the end, to the very end, he loved them, and we see this visible act that's an expression of love. So fellowship is visible, and we see it here in this very um, interesting expression with the foot-washing. We also see that uh, fellowship is risky. There's a vulnerability to the way Jesus expresses his life with the apostles. So this Judas, who is one of his trusted inner circle, at the final hour betrays him. At At the last supper they shared together, Jesus says, "Go do quickly what you have to do." And you could say one of his best friends betrayed him at the very end. Peter, who was sort of the sort of the high point amongst the apostles, he said, "I'll never forsake you, Lord." And all the way to the cross, all he did was forsake that he even knew Jesus. And Jesus, in his vulnerability, he he um, he does something. And this is the third thing, that fellowship is humble. He humbles himself. As the meal gets underway, something unimaginable takes place. So in this time, in this era, people would travel and they would have a fellowship meal together. And in this case, they were celebrating the Passover, an important time in their faith. And so they all sat down for the meal, and it was special because it was Jesus and the 12 apostles. And... The 12 apostles, you know, they were all equal amongst themselves. So we don't know why, but none of them washed each other's feet. And then Jesus got up from the table. He took, out his out, took off his outer garments, wrapped a, ta- a towel around his waist, and started humbling himself. The practice at that time was that you would wash the servant of the house and often the slave of the house would wash the feet of those traveling in. And it was a very, you know, no one wanted to do that. Who wants to do that? Who wants that job, washing the grime from the feet? Jesus said, I didn't come to serve. I came to be served. I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And in Philippians 2 we we hear about the life of Jesus described. He in the very nature, he was in his very nature, he was God. But he didn't consider equality with God something to grasp onto. That was not the goal of his life, was not to hold on tightly, but he emptied himself and he took took the form of a servant, a bond servant, a slave. So God in the flesh. God of the whole universe, Jesus Christ, he takes on the humanity and the likeness of man. It says that he took on in his flesh the likeness of humanity. He humbled himself even to death on a cross so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. This lordship that we have from Jesus, it comes from his humility. And thinking about vulnerability and risk-taking and humility in this fellowship. Where else would we talk about the struggles in our marriage except in this room? Are we supposed to go outside of this room and then talk about our marriage troubles outside in the world? Or what if you have a struggle with a child and you're trying to get them? Who knows what that struggle is? Where else should we bring it up? if we can't bring it up here? If we can't be vulnerable in this place, where are we going to be vulnerable? And if we can't be humble with one another and treat each other with like a servant mindset, where else are we going to go out into the world expect that? And it goes on. So just thinking about these things, are you humble? Are you humble in your relationships? Are you vulnerable? Are you willing to take some risks? And does your fellowship become visible to others? Let's go on in the story. We'll pick it back up in, uh, right before 13. So Jesus says, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. There's a little play on words there. It's, so I am. The great I am, it's the name of the Lord right there. and He says, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger Receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. We see this um, teaching from Jesus that fellowship is costly, and it's there's costs that are going to be paid. You say you call me teacher and Lord. Do you really know what it means to combine those two titles? That means that if you say you call me Lord, that means you're going to follow my teachings. If you don't follow the teachings of Jesus, that means you're not calling him Lord. And he goes on and he says, this is an example for you. Some have wondered, is he instilling, you know, the foot washing ceremony in the life of the church? And while there may be some merit to that, and that may be worth considering... Um, he, there's, it only comes up in Scripture one other time later in First Timothy and it has more to do with the social aspects of washing one another's feet because it was a cultural expression. But Jesus was taking this cultural expression and he was pushing it in because this was the real life experience that they had. And all 12 of them missed it. It was Jesus who had to wash their feet. And he offered it to his own betrayer, and he held up his heel to him at the foot washing. Jesus was willing to count the costs to have true fellowship in this group. And he modeled it, and he said, this is how you should live. This is going to cost you. You don't see it all in this moment, but I'm telling you now, this is going to cost you. But it pushes into the next side of fellowship, and that's that fellowship is free. There's a freedom in our fellowship with one another. We're not simply just trying to pay one another's costs. Back when I was in high school, um, we had some friends that worked at McDonald's, and we would say, oh, can you give us some free food? We'd show up. We'd go through the drive-thru. Can you give us some free food? And, you know, technically that's stealing, just, just putting it out there but we didn't know any better. We just wanted free food. But someone had to pay for that food. Maybe it was an organization. Who knows? But someone had to pay for that food. I came to find out one of my friends in high school, his family owned one of the McDonald's franchises up in our area. So someone's paying for that food. There was a cost associated, but all we knew was the freedom of it. And it's like that in fellowship. There is a cost that we pay Galatians 6 says, bear one another's burdens. In so doing, you fulfill the law of Christ. But when you are in the fellowship, your vulnerability should create for you sort of the space to receive help. And you shouldn't worry about the costs in that moment. That's where the free fellowship is coming to you. And we've all received it on both sides I want to tell a brief true story. I was sitting with um, one of our uh, former members. She has since passed away. Her name was Ruth White. We were sitting together, visiting and hanging out and just talking. She was so interesting to sit with. She was a very sharp person, well into her 90s. She knew exactly what was happening in every moment, and she said, oh, my TV's not working. And I said, well, let's figure it out here. so I replaced the batteries on the remote, and I, tried, I made sure it was plugged in, did all this stuff, and she was like, come on, I already did that. you know." <laughs> but um, I was like, well, let's just pray for your TV. I mean, that's what pastors do. They get to a certain <laughs> point, and they're like, well, let's pray about it. And so we prayed, and the doorbell rang. And it was Dan and Jewel Boulet. They had a TV in their hands. I'm not making this up. And they walked in, and... They probably forget it, but I don't. I was so mesmerized by the fact that this prayer had just been fulfilled in my sight. And we often think, oh, Lord, answer our prayers. Well, how do prayers typically get answered in your life? It's the free gift that's coming through the fellowship. And there's this freedom to accept it and say, yes, Lord, this, we're, we're in this together. And some of us are counting costs and others are receiving freely. And it's this interplay. And we don't, know what our, we don't let our left hand know what our right hand is doing in the, in the mix of all that. But there's this fellowship to be found. And that's what Jesus says in verse 20. He's talking about this freedom. There's a freedom in the way that you should receive me, because if you're receiving me, you're receiving the Father. And anyone who receives the ones I send, he's receiving me. So when you receive the gifts of God in your life, you're receiving the Father, it's pushing up into the vertical relationship that we have with Christ, and yet our horizontal fellowship is sort of always interacting with that. And then, lastly, we'll see this in this final passage. We'll skip down to verse thirty-one. When he had gone out, and this is again the the, the meal, the supper happened, and they uh, Jesus said to Judas, go do what you got to do quickly. And there was this betrayal that was coming that would ultimately be part of the details of how Jesus ended up on the cross. But then he picks it up in verse 31. When Judas had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified And God is glorified in him. This is the fellowship the father shares with the son. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Total unity between the father and the son. And he says, little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. He's speaking about his cross at that point. And then he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one if you have love for one another. And then Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? If we can't follow, where are you going? And Jesus Jesus is like, it's okay, Peter. Where I am going, you cannot follow me now. But you will follow afterward. So there's this recognition that what Jesus endures on the cross is only endurable by Him. And we follow after Him by, what, taking up our own cross and following Him. So there is this costliness that I referred back to. And, but the final point in fellowship is maybe the most convicting. Fellowship is meant to persuade the world. Our love that we share for one another is meant to Persuade the world that this love that we share with one another is so beyond transaction. It's so beyond worldly love. It's so beyond anything that's attainable on our own. It's something I've been longing for this kind of love. This is the way the faith takes shape. And it's the fellowship. The fellowship takes shape around these characteristics. Uh, There's a picture here from Brandywine Creek State Park. As many of you know, we have a life group ministry. And the life groups are small groups that we gather together. The life group ministry is like this gazebo in Brandywine Creek State Park. So a gazebo is sort of a construct Uh, uh, it has this weight to it. It has a concrete floor. You know, we don't like to get our feet dirty when we have picnics. So we expect, we want that pavilion. Yes, it's first come, first serve, but it better be open when I get there. Because if not, then I'm upset with those people that came first. That's how human we are. We come to a first come, first serve pavilion and we get mad at the people there. But this pavilion, it's, it's, it's standing something up. Underneath this pavilion is birthday parties, weddings, a lot of good food, fun, and fellowship. But the fellowship is not the pavilion itself. So the, the life group ministry is not the fellowship. The, the life group is a construct to enable something that should be happening naturally among us as a church. But culturally, we really struggle with fellowship. We don't know how to be humble with one another. We don't know how to be vulnerable with one another. We know how to isolate ourselves. We were forming a, a Bible study a couple of years ago, and it 's with you know, men that have lived the path of life, and two of them came separately and said, "I feel so isolated." Well, how about we circle up?" So we did. So there's this gazebo that's sitting above us, that we, you know, the building of the church. But inside is the actual fellowship. So I just want to hold these questions in front of you as we enter into the Lord's Supper. These, really, more these characteristics. But the question is, um, number one, are you in fellowship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ? Do you have that, koinonia sense that you are bonded with God and we all go through valleys the valley of the shadow of death where we are there we are we have this fellowship with God the Father through his son we have the Holy Spirit living in us and yet we still feel like in the valley in the darkness the enemy starts telling us lies it's a real battle but here is where we find something different in the sense of we can't do this on our own. So we, have, we need one another. And this fellowship is only going to live on the individual ingredients. Fellowship is, is a group thing. It's a body. But it only works if each individual member does its part. So in other words, you can't have a good fellowship if no one is vulnerable, no one is humble, is no, no one is willing to pay the cost, to count the costs of what it means to be part of this fellowship. But it's a group thing, nonetheless, more than it is an individual thing. But we, we each own our response to what this fellowship looks like. So I want to just challenge you. Pick one of these when it comes to your fellowship with brothers and sisters and as you consider um, this table before us, is your fellowship visible? Is it risky slash vulnerable? Is it humble? Are you willing to count the costs? Are you willing to accept the free gift that people offer you when you're in need? And do you have the longing of the world in mind when you consider your love for others? At some point, we need to rub elbows with the world so they see this. So you can bow your heads. We're going to go to the Lord's table. Lord, we come before you at this table with the recognition, Lord, that it's, it's an ordinance that we share together as a representation that we gather around your free gift of salvation through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this table is a meal for the fellowship. It's for the believers, those of us who believe in you as teacher and Lord. And Lord, so I just offer a prayer over this congregation and the freedom to partake in this meal for the believers here. If someone is here and they're not a, they haven't confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, then give them the freedom, Lord, just to let this meal um, be something they observe because it really is meant as a meal for the fellowship. But it's not meant to be exclusive. It's meant to uh, be invitational. And we just pray that that invitation is felt to each person. For those of us that need a reminder, Lord, that, yes, you're enough for us, Jesus, in your lordship, Uh, in your teachings, Um, empower us, Lord, by your spirit to um, enjoy this meal and to be challenged to live out the faith as a community in a powerful way. We pray all this in Jesus' name.